0: listening to the Queen City Church sermon of the week enjoy this exciting message by pastor Andy Squires all right let's find our way find our way back we'll get started today is the first day of advent how many of you all knew that it was the first day of advent oh pretty good some real christians in here i was just figuring that out this week so i'm kind of playing catch up in my christianity but uh hey if you noticed we got a couple of uh new pieces of art hanging up in here that i am super excited about yes If you haven't seen the piece as you've walked into the sanctuary here, that is a commissioned piece that we did. We asked Jesse Smith to paint a rendition of the Trinity. And uh, that is her. Yeah, let's give her a big old hand. I mean, the challenge was tough because I said to her, I said, here's what I want. But I was so vague in what I wanted that for her to land that was just a monumental task. Well done, Jesse. And then, and then if you've noticed in the, in the lobby, we have a brand new piece done by the great Ryan Stevens. Is Ryan in here? I know he does not like me to be embarrassing him like this. He hates this. This is not his love language. Nevertheless, I love that piece hanging in the lobby. And uh, let's give Ryan a big hand for that as well. He's... He's an incredible artist in his own right. That piece was sitting in my office for a week, and I just sat there, and I just looked at it for hours at a time and just kind of contemplated the mysteries of the universe. So, you know, art can do that. It, art, you, should, you should go to a museum every now and again and stand in front of something that somebody did. It'll, you'll be surprised at what it'll, it'll produce inside of you, you know. I've actually had spiritual experiences standing in front of pieces of art. My friend Chris Underwood before he passed away, he did this he did a piece that first time, you know some 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 pieces of art you it takes you a while to enter in, but when I first set eyes on this thing it was just like I don't know, man, a gateway to heaven opened up and I was transported into the third heaven or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how all that works. All I'm saying is it was it was a wonderful work and it just really blessed me. So, you know, Some people say they don't like art or abstract art or poetry or, you know, you should repent if you've ever said that because that stuff's really important. If you have a Bible or if you have an iPhone, let's open up to the book of Luke. And I'm going to read a passage from Luke chapter 1. This is known by some as the Magnificat. Or Magnificat. I don't know how you say it, but it's a song sung by Mary after she receives the news that she will be carrying the son of God in her womb. What's interesting about this passage is that she didn't spontaneously write a new song. This is actually found in the Old Testament. It was a song sung by a once barren woman named Hannah who received a miraculous gift from from the Lord because of her prayers. Uh, And she, she bore the prophet Samuel. Mary apparently knew this story. She knew this song. And so after she receives this great news, she proceeds to sing a song. Now, that's interesting. When good things happen, people sing songs. We are a people who are known by our songs. Actually, when bad things happen, people sing songs. To me, the real problem lies in that no matter what's going on in your life and you're not singing, something's amiss. All right. Let's read this together. And Mary said, starting at verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. You could also say he noticed me out of nowhere and out of nothing. Here's the creator, God, the uncreated one who steps into the middle Of this little person's life. And disrupts everything in her life. And he notices her. And so she starts singing about it. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud to the imagination of their hearts. And he has put down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted the lowly. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. Let's just sit for a second on that. Let's have a moment of silence, not of sadness. Let's just collect our thoughts, collect our week. However you've walked into this room today, whatever burdens you're carrying, whatever anxieties you might have, whatever, you know, wherever you are in your life, you be you right now, but let's do it together in silence and let's bring ourselves to the Lord and get ready to receive. heavenly father we thank you that you transact with us in the song and in the silence and we we welcome you holy spirit right now we acknowledge that you are our helper and we give you full permission right now lord to move f- freely about this room and we pray That the glory of your gospel would penetrate our hearts and our minds today. In your name we pray. Amen. So I've been hanging out with some serious Christians lately. And they started talking about Advent. I didn't grow up in a church where we went by a church calendar. I didn't know what Advent meant. So I had to do what any good theologian does. I had to go over to Google and look it up. You know. So. We're in the season of Advent, and Advent literally means coming or arrival. And the church celebrates Advent because Advent reminds us that the coming of God in Christ was the moment that the human race, like the song says, felt its worth. During the season of Advent, one of the words used is the word incarnation. It's a big theological word, but don't let it scare you. It is the word that is used to describe how Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became human. Incarnation literally means embodied flesh. The word became flesh. God became human. The coming of God as a mere human being was not what anyone was expecting. We're looking backwards, so it seems perfectly predictable for the story. But when angel hosts came announcing the coming of God as a baby born of a virgin, it took us a minute to become aware of the implications. It is still something we are contemplating. Actually, it'll take us the rest of our lives of meditating and contemplating on this incredible, wondrous mystery. So Advent is a season, you might say, of reawakening. It's a season of renewal. It's a season of reminding. It is a season for us of God coming and breaking into our current existences and disrupting our unbelief. Long lay our hearts in sin and error pining, but God has appeared in Christ and our souls have felt their worth. When God came in Christ, there was a darkness on the world. There was a massive lack of revelation. Humanity believed that God was totally unlike them and someone to fear. There was a great foreboding sense of separation between God and man. There was a glimmer of hope that someday Messiah would come. There was an expectation, but it was more like a smoldering ember and not a raging fire. The Jews were under occupation when the reality of God's incarnation manifested. Mary was the least of the world. She was very young. She was a woman. She was a Jew under Roman occupation. She was the least powerful, least exceptional, least likely person to notice. But as she sings in her Magnificat, God has regarded me. God has noticed me. What a wonder that must have been for her. God broke into her little life with the most extraordinary news. But God broke into all our little lives. What God did for Mary is really something he did for every single one of us. We found out that God is not playing hard to get. We found out that God isn't displeased with humanity. We found out that God is pleased to become human. We found out that God is not something else other than us. We found out that we, you and me, are a chip off the old block. In that baby, we found out that being human is good. Of course, we're not without our major issues, but the work of redemption didn't begin at the cross. It began at the incarnation. We don't hear angel multitudes in the gospel of Luke announcing that the death announcing the death of Jesus. They are announcing his birth, and this is not insignificant. In Luke 2, we hear the angel choir announcing Peace and goodwill toward all men. The incarnation of God is the greatest announcement ever made in history. And if we realize the implications of this announcement, we would truly be ecstatic. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you experienced actual ecstasy? Where some kind of news came towards you? And uh, you lost control of yourself to the point of um, being unrespectable or disrespectful, or you, you, um, you lost uh, 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 your sense of decorum went away because the, the, the news that you got was so incredible that uh, you felt it somewhere on the inside of you that you thought was dead where no hope existed, all of a sudden you heard something and it wasn't just like the Panthers are going to the Super Bowl. It was something like your life is changing forever. So I want to tell you about this moment. Unfortunately, I don't have it on video, but everybody in my family was there so they can tell you this was true. But if you can imagine this, lowly, shy little me was at some point Losing control of himself with joy and ecstasy. I have six children. I don't know if you know this, but I have many children. (laughs) Me and Amy and and Shelly and Doug were having this conversation yesterday. And Shelly said like, oh man, dual incomes, no kids. Life is great. And I turned to Amy and said, one income, six kids, man. (laughs) 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 Life's still great. (sighs) But... I gotta tell you this. I I mean, my kids are the greatest gift God ever gave me. I love my kids. My my five daughters. You know, there's five daughters in the book of Acts that are known to prophesy. They're the daughters of I forget who they're the daughters of. Philip, yeah. These women go around declaring the, the oracles of God. Don't tell me women can't preach. It's in the Bible. These ladies were going around declaring the oracles of God. That's how I think about my baby girls. Not one moment in my life was I ever disappointed when one of those girls showed up on planet Earth. In fact, I was never that guy who said, I just got to have a son. I just got to have a son. We were having babies because we just like to have babies. (laughs) That's what we were doing. It's just, we were just living life, you know, every single one of those girls are my joy, my objects of affection. But after that fifth girl was born, I had this crazy dream. And in the dream, the Lord came to me and he said, Andy, if you want to have a son, now's the time. Guys, it works. If you ever want to use this line, it works. <laughs> but Amy was reluctant. She was reluctant. I mean, five kids is a lot of kids. She wasn't, Now let's do this. She was a little bit reluctant. Well, anyways, nature took its course. And um, we found out we were pregnant. And it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. We were just kind of like, wow, this is. We are so crazy. This is going to be, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Well, it got to the it got to the day where where she was going to go to the doctor to find out what the sex was. I generally go with her, but I could not. Do I do do I go with you on those things? Yeah, I do. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm telling the story right. On this day, I was a nervous wreck. I could not go with her, so she goes to have her ultrasound. I'm at home with the kids, and I hear the car coming down the driveway, and I'm just saying, oh, God, it's a girl. It's a girl. (laughs) We're going to have six girls. (laughs) I love those girls so much. (laughs) I do. I really do. But she gets out of the car, and she has a poker face. It's not like glimmer in her eye. She's not giving me any tells. And she hands me a bag and in the bag, there's a a garment for whatever the sex of the baby is. She has wrapped it up tight. I start opening that thing and all my eyes are seeing ahead of time is the color pink. And I'm, I'm having this conversation. How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to, how am I going to maneuver through this? And, I'm, she put so many layers of wrapping on that thing. It was crazy. It was diabolical. <clears throat> I finally ripped through the final tissue paper and I see the color blue. And I'm not kidding. I was outside in my backyard. I screamed. 45 seconds worth at the top of my lungs. I'm yelling, I'm running loops around the house. My kids are all on the stairway just laughing. Just their friends were there. I was like, I. if you would have told me I got a million dollars right then, I wouldn't have yelled louder. It was like, I screamed, I shouted. I mean, it went on for 15 minutes. And then for the rest of the day, I was walking around in a glory cloud. Like, I'm gonna have a son. I'm gonna have a son. We called everybody. New Henry is going to come. He's on his way, everybody. Get ready. The Squire's family's going to have a boy. And we just went crazy with ecstatic joy. And I'm telling you, it wasn't outward joy. It was the kind that transformed my insides. And don't you know, that's the kind of joy that Mary received when God broke into her life and said, God is coming. He's here. He's showing up as a little baby. He's showing up as a lonely, a lowly human. And he's announcing the redemption of all of the world. You know why I've said I don't like Christmas songs and I don't like Advent and I don't like Christmas services? It's because I've lost the implications of what the incarnation actually means to the world. It's the best news that the world ever received. And if we truly understood the implications of what it meant for the second person of the, the Trinity, to put on the limitations of humanity, not disdaining it, but putting it on its, in all its fullness and owning it. Not because he was just putting up with dirty, lousy sinners. But because he was mirroring back to us who he really called us to be and what he called us into, which is union with the father. He didn't come down as some incredible spiritual guru version of transcendent thought, although every thought he had was transcendent. But he didn't come down in superpowers. He came down like you and me. And he said, Father, I am in you and you are in me. And they are in us. And all that the Father is to Jesus, the Father is to you. And all that Jesus is to the Father, you are to the Father. Oh, I got off my notes. (laughs) I'm so sorry. The incarnation of God is the greatest announcement ever made in history. And if we realize the implications of this announcement, we would be truly ecstatic. So when I heard the news of Henry's birth, my ears were hearing good news. And that news changed me. It changed my heart. It changed my mind. It produced a deep satisfaction in my bones. Guys. Guys. If you're not walking around with a deep satisfaction in your bones, it's because you're still somewhere along the line of understanding the implications of the incarnation. Do you ever hear the story of the gospel called good news, but those words are completely meaningless and boring to you? Just be honest. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody says, hey, it's the good news of the gospel. And you're like, yawn. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you about what you actually think, aren't I? We hear the Christmas story. We hear about a little baby in a little manger and wise men and donkeys and all of this stuff. And it's boring to us. Because we've turned it into a cute little story and we've left behind all of the actual implications of God, the word made flesh, God becoming human. Actual good news is something that will produce elation in you. When we call the gospel good news We mean something that when fully understood will produce a reaction in you like Mary gave a song, a shout, an explosion of hope in your heart where none existed before. Out of nothing, out of nowhere, something profound rises up going into the very roots of your being informing the very fiber of who you are this news that god took great pleasure in becoming human this is the news that totally disrupts our unbelief it totally disrupts our self-loathing it totally disrupts our feeling of separateness it totally disrupts the feeling of loneliness it totally disrupts the feeling of being abandoned by god it totally disrupts the feeling of being abandoned by other people this is the news that totally destroys that god is something altogether different than me see god doesn't have a challenge with you you have a challenge with god god's already overcome the chasm between you and him The feeling of separateness that exists doesn't exist in his heart. It exists in your mind. The feeling that you're something other than one with God doesn't exist in his heart. It exists in your mind. And the only reason why it exists that way is because we're walking through this world where that lie is prevalent. Actually, most of religion preaches and promotes this idea that god is over here and we are over here and our entire spiritual journey is us working to get to the place where god is and it's a complete debacle of the gospel it's not the gospel truth the gospel is that god voided the void and brought you into communion with him And any separateness, any loneliness, any abandonment that you feel over something you've done bad or something that you did wrong, it's all a sham. And your journey isn't to get sin out of your life. It's to get your mind into the place where you can fully receive the love of God that already exists. You can spend the rest of your life on the religious treadmill working your ego muscles trying to get good enough trying to work your spiritual muscles enough so that you can become acceptable to God. And that is an affront to the gospel. That is not the gospel. This is the news that he has saved us from the lie. That being human is something to disdain. It is the pronouncement that God created you and he called you good. The incarnation is the pronouncement over your life that he created you and he called you good. But the story of Christmas, the reality of Advent is news that is so good. It will make you laugh, it will make you cry, it will make you sing, it will make you shout to give yourself fully to it. The reason that we yawn when we think about the reality of God becoming human 2,000 years ago is that we don't really understand the implications of it. Do you know who you are? You're a chip off the old block. You are made in the image of your heavenly father. You are his handiwork. You are the genius of his dream realized. And not only you, but your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your enemy, the foreigner, the stranger, the migrant, the unbeliever and the believer alike. God is for you and he's for your enemy too. God is Emmanuel for you, and he is Emmanuel for your enemy too. God is with you, and he's with your neighbor and your enemy too. The pronouncement of Emmanuel is for you, the believer, and for the unbeliever too. The pronouncement of Emmanuel is not for the chosen holy super spiritual elect that is not good news the angels showed up announcing peace and good tidings and goodwill for all men we have relegated that to poetic license but that was a prophetic proclamation that come from came from heaven itself am i talking too loud amy She tells me I need to tone it down sometimes. (sighs) Are you all with me? Are you all okay? All right. I can see gears turning, but that's okay. I mean, you wouldn't have wanted me to come up here and preach a nice Christmas message, right? I mean, you've already heard that. You already know how that story goes, right? Guys, we've been having the Holy Spirit move in these meetings for the past four or five weeks. And Amy and I were talking and we were like, you know what? We don't want to put the Holy Spirit on hold just because it's time for Christmas. We don't want to be polite for Christmas sake. We don't want to not engage with the Spirit of God and what he's doing because it's time to celebrate. I am all for celebrating. Trust me. I just don't want to be religious about any of it. Because this is what I believe, guys. I believe that the Lord is leading this church to a place of, of deep feasting, of deep feasting, of deep drinking on the spirit's wine. The incarnation of the word made flesh is the good tidings of great joy to all people. The babe wrapped in swaddling swaddling clothes in a manger. This is the good tidings. And these good tidings declare. Do not be afraid. Peace and goodwill to all men. To all men. To all women. Did Did you know that we are all looking for friendship with God? Every single person in this room. There's not one person in this room who is not looking for friendship with God. Most of us discount ourselves out of friendship with God because we believe we're not spiritual enough. The only qualifier for you to be a friend of God is that you're human. The only qualifier for you to be in friendship with God is that you you realize that you cannot be good enough to be in friendship with God. That he has already done everything that you need to enjoy full communion with him. Everyone is looking for friendship with God. There is not one person in here who doesn't deeply desire to know That they are intimately connected at the deepest level with God. So Jesus said it this way in the gospel of John. At that day, this is from John 17. At that day, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. If anybody asks where you are, you're in Jesus. If anybody asks where you are, you're located all the way in Jesus, who is located in the father bound by the bounds of the spirit. I know this is crazy talk, but this is the Bible. Redemption, the work of redemption is not something that just saved you from your sins. It saved you to your original innocence. It brought you back. To the original DNA, the original blueprint of God's plan for your life was intimacy and communion and connection to the father. And Jesus said this before he even died on the cross. The day is coming when you're going to know that I am located in the father. The father is located in me and you're located in me as well. Let me read that again, just so you you know I'm not lying. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. How interesting is that? Don't just pass this up as poetic language. Union with God is the grassroots, brass tacks of Orthodox Christianity. Jesus didn't come to save you from the fires of hell, although that's included. He came to announce to you that you were created for union with God. And all the separation that existed between God and man was pronounced dead at that angelic announcement. Do not be afraid for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy that will be for all people. And a multitude of angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and good will to all men and women. So here's the thing. The core meaning of faith. Is to dare to trust. That God could. That God will. And that God does. Have an eternal compassion. Toward you. Not only toward you. But towards your neighbor. And towards your enemy. Who's hanging with me? The shocking implication of the incarnation is that even before the cross, the heart of God was absolutely for you. See, some preachers preach that it was the cross that made you acceptable to God. Some preachers will tell you that before the cross, God could not look at you. With without disdain. And that's that's not the gospel. It's not in the scriptures. It's while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. His heart of love existed for you before the foundations of the earth. The cross was not the first thing to announce that the world was forgiven or is forgiven. The incarnation was. In the incarnation, we realize that the lowly hidden babe in a manger is only seemingly insignificant in a world that idolizes power and glory. But that baby born in a stable is the genius of the kingdom of God. God coming as a baby is not God being ironic. He's not trying to fake anyone out. He's not being coy. He is being seriously clear. In that Christ child, in his birth, in his life, in his eventual death, in his resurrection and his ascension, every person in humanity is represented and atoned for. Every created being is receiving the glad tidings of peace with God. You are the object of his affection and his desire. If you come away with nothing else today, you need to know this. You are the object of his affection and his desire. Think of the most unspiritual person that you know in your life. That person is the object of God's affection. Think of the most unlikely person that you can imagine. It might be you. You might categorize yourself as the person who God is not giving glad tidings of peace to. But you are the object of his affection and desire. One of the major challenges that we face in our hearts and minds is that we believe that we are incompatible with God. You know, one of the, ma- one of the major afflictions... That gets on people that promotes the lie that we are not compatible with God is the lie of shame. I think shame is the number one thing that people are struggling with in this world. And, you know, Amy gave a testimony a couple of weeks ago, and she said something interesting. I was very intrigued by this. I didn't know she was going to give that testimony. But I was profoundly moved by it. But she said this thing. She said a lot of people. Well, she didn't say a lot of people. She said the shame that she was carrying was not something connected to sin, but it had to do with identity. Like in her basic personhood. She felt unlovable. And I have this feeling that there's this demonic oppression that's working really hard in the earth that has good Christian Christian people believing that they're no good. And that they're undeserving of love and that they're undeserving of acceptance and that manifestation of shame is going to be broken off church. That manifestation of shame is not your inheritance. It does not belong to you. When we see that pronouncement of goodwill and good tidings and peace toward all men coming from that angelic host, it was the pronouncement of the death of your inner shame and your inner self-loathing and your inner hatred and your inner sense of abandonment. That does not belong to you. Heaven is singing over you this morning that you are the object of God's affection. And he's done every possible thing in his power to give you that there's nothing more that God can do. Amy and I were talking about how interesting it is, how, how, um, it, you know it really is a process. It really is a journey it's it 's a journey so sometimes i i don 't really know how revelation works, but you go through your life and and uh you go kind of through the mire maybe for a number of years and then and then God speaks to you or you get a word from somebody and it's it 's like it 's the right words said in the right order, spoken at the right moment. And then you get this breakthrough. Like you start accelerating to a place that you thought it was going to take you 800 years worth of counseling to get through. I mean, no, no shame on counseling. Go to counseling. Please go. We all need, we all need to go to counseling. I'm not saying anything bad about counseling, but I'm saying that the Spirit of God wants to break off shame. He wants to accelerate your growth into the joy of the Lord. He wants you to see the implications of the salvation gift that he has already given you. And he wants you to enter into the fullness of it because your life will be so much better when you enter into the depth of that. And even in our own family, we've just seen this like increase of revelation from the spirit where he's speaking to us things right now that we haven't had breakthrough on for years So I say that to encourage you, like pay attention to what God is saying to you right now. We we were, we were in the prayer room before service today and we just began praying like, Lord, send more prophetic words, Lord, send more dreams. We want to be a people that have their ears open to hear what the spirit is saying. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of adjusting yourself a, a degree. You know, I mean, we do have a part to play in all of this, don't we? Like, I know for myself, it's like, I'll go through my life and I'll just be saying, God never speaks to me. Why isn't God speaking to me? God's never talking to me. I wish God would talk to me. God's so silent all the time. Why is he talking to those people and he's not talking to me? It's so weird how me saying all that perpetuates me not hearing him. When you When you exact judgments out of your mouth like that, you begin to manifest that reality all around you. It's like that inner world, that thing that's on the inside of you. Like you have to be careful what you proclaim out of your mouth. I mean, I'm not a word of faith guy or anything like that, but I'm just saying these angels were out there singing peace to all men, peace and goodwill. I have this idea that God knows the power of the proclaimed word. He knows that it changes realities. So I noticed how I could just turn myself a little degree and start paying attention. And I, I, would, I, would, I would say things like, well, I'm, I'm just as spiritual as the next guy. I can hear God just like anybody. God, God's speaking to me all the time. Most of the time, I'm just not listening. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I just want to listen to you now, Lord. Remember that thing I said the other week about just like practicing prayer as weakness? You know, sometimes that turning of the degree is just putting your iPhone down for a little while and just sit in silence. Don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid to just go sit on your couch and listen to the spirit Spirit of God speak to you. You know, you don't have to have like this incredible ecstatic mystical experience every time you engage with God. Like it's it's just this beautiful, normal give and take. And sometimes you will have these incredible experiences. But you should still, you know, eat food every day, even though you're not eating at a four star restaurant, right? A bowl of Wheaties is good. <laughs> if you're starving, a bowl of Wheaties is great. You don't have to sit around waiting for to get a gift coupon to Kindred from somebody so that you can go eat a hundred and fifty dollar meal. You know? You need to eat. So put down your iPhone. And, and just sit in the silence and sit in the weakness of your terrible prayer life. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Just own it. Own it. Like, see, because this is what I know about the devil. He likes to come to us and he likes to say things like, your prayer life is terrible. You know what the Bible says? When your adversary comes, agree with him. So when the devil comes to me and says, Andy, your prayer life is terrible. I'm like, yeah, it really is. Praise God, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Lord, I just love you. I'm just sitting on this couch. I don't even know words to pray. I'm just, I'm in your presence. I'm in your presence. I'm practicing weakness my whole life. I'm just stumbling into grace all of the time. You know, as Christians, your, your capacity for grace and glory will grow as you just own your humanity. Your humanity is not something to disdain and keep at arm's length. God created your humanity. He blesses it, He's calling you into it. Gosh, it's amazing how much of the Bible I've missed my whole life. Like sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, this sounds like heresy. Well, no, truly, like when you listen to so much preaching out there and then you read the Bible, you're like, well, this is nothing what that guy's saying. <laughs> this says that Jesus is in the Father and I am in the Son. That's incredible if you think about the implications of that. When Jesus is saying that, he's not describing asking Jesus into your heart. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the actual location of where you are right now. In your innermost being, you are in the Father, you are in the Son, you are in the Spirit. If you think about that every day for a week, your life will change forever. So, one of the major challenges that we face in our hearts and minds is that we believe that we are incompatible with God. That there is an ever increasing distance between us and the Father, and much of religion bears the responsibility for promoting this. Instead of announcing that the perceived separation has been overcome from before the very beginning. Guys, Ephesians 1 4 says, Before the world was made, He chose us. Before the world, before you even committed a sin, He chose you. You were in before you were out. You were all the way in before you were out. As the father is to Jesus, the father is to you. In the prayer of Jesus in John 17, Jesus says this to his father. You loved me before the foundation of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world. As much as this is true between Jesus and the father, it is true of you and me. But we haven't known this, have we? I love this. I'm going to close with this. Jesus says as much in John 17, 25. This is so cool. I love this. Oh, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. So here we are finding out that God has loved us before the foundation of the world. And that proclamation of the incarnation on that Christmas night was that next great chapter in in this redemption story. This announcement that the second person of the Trinity would come as a human being. And this incredible conclusion that Jesus gives in John 17. He says, and I have declared to them your name and I will declare it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love that you have loved me with, which you loved me with, may be inside of them. And that I may be inside of them. I mean. The thing is this. Jesus never, not once, doubted his union with God. And he is inviting you to never doubt it as well. Jesus never doubted his union with God. And he's leading us to that exact same place. It's not instant. I mean, I don't want to give you the impression that I'm just walking around having an ecstatic experience every moment of my life. That's not what I'm talking about. But church, we are being drawn by the spirit to begin feasting on this idea that we are totally loved by the father. All that Jesus is to the father. We are to the father as well. It's not a good cop, bad cop situation with God. It's not Jesus, good cop, the father, bad cop. Does anybody have that idea rattling around in your brain that Jesus is the good part of God and God, the father is the angry out to get you part? That idea needs to go away. The father said to his son, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he's saying and proclaiming that exact same thing over you right now. And your spiritual journey is not trying to get to God. Your spiritual journey is just about enjoying that feast of the pleasure of the father. It's enjoying, it's drinking that wine of the pleasure of the father in your own life. Am I saying you don't have stuff in your life to deal with? No, I'm not saying that. But don't make it the main thing of your life. Feast on the goodness of God and all of that other stuff will just take care of itself. Listen, guys, I'm going to set you free on something. There are just some things in your life that you're never going to be able to deal with in this lifetime. You will be a human being walking in a fallen world until the day you die. So if you're walking around feeling like your goal is to get to that place of like where you, your life looks good to the father, you're, you're, you're fighting a battle that was not meant for you to fight. It's not a battle that you will ever win. That's a battle that your ego is trying to win that it wasn't meant to win. It wasn't meant to fight. Your journey is one of feasting on the deep satisfaction of the father's love in your life. Why don't we do this? You know, one of the things that I love about this church is that we believe that God is still moving today. Right? You know that about us, right? If you didn't know that about us, we, that's something that we believe in. We believe that God is still working. God is still moving. And that the Holy Spirit was given to us to empower us to actually be priests of God. Okay? And so I would just like us to pray together for a second. But I want to do it a little different. Let's, let's, Let's just do this for a second. Let's stand up. And generally what happens is the person up here prays this one generic prayer and everybody says amen and we all go watch the football game and have lunch. It's just a great thing to do. But I would really like it if this morning we could maybe pray for each other. And all all I want to do this morning is I just want to, I want you to pronounce a blessing on somebody near you. And if you're not near somebody, find somebody. And and don't just go laying hands anywhere on somebody. Ask permission if you can put your hands on a shoulder or or wherever. But I want to do this because I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to move in here today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do some things in here. It doesn't have to look crazy. It doesn't have to look any sort of way. But I believe that there's this transactional relationship that we have with God. But it's not just between me and God. It works between us, Right. Do you guys know that there's bread that you can get only through your brother? There are some things that you cannot receive from God himself. You can only receive from your brother or sister. Did you know that God has designed it this way for us to depend and rely on each other? We actually need each other. We need this church. We need the building. We need these walls. We need this sound system. But more than any of that, we need each other. Okay. Okay. One of the things I have realized is that many, many, many people have never had hands laid on them and had a prayer prayed over them. Okay. This is going to be awkward. I know it's going to be weird. I don't care. Okay. If you feel insecure right now, welcome to the club. We're doing it anyways. Okay. But, but, I, but I'm saying this. I believe this, that if you're going to step out in new areas of faith, you're going to have to take some risks. God is outside of the place that you feel comfortable. All right? So as a corporate practice of weakness, I want you just to gather with somebody. It could be your spouse. It could be your friend. It could be anybody. I don't care. But but just gather together for 45 seconds and just pray a blessing over each other.